This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. We live in a day of health consciousness. Health consciousness, where it's not hard to become obsessed with how young we look, and, and can the Botox help, and are we keeping in shape, are we doing a lot of exercises, how fit we are. I dropped out of that a long time ago. But I had dinner recently, a few months ago, with a person who only talked the whole meal, all he talked about was the number of carbs in each one of these things on the menu and on his plate and on my plate and everybody's plate. Really took her appetite away. He said, oh, I lost 55 pounds by being on the low-carb diet. All he thought about was carbs. Being occupied with the body is a preoccupation that can cause a person to fail from being diligent watchmen and hearing what God wants to say. John 12, 25, John 12, 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. What does that mean? That means in comparison to loving the Lord, in comparison to being a watchman, hating everything that would stand in the way, nothing between my soul and the Savior. Another distraction that can cause a person to be fail as a watchman is to be so worried about the problems, about his own problems, and that will cause him not to be a diligent watchman. The same is true for a person who's so consumed with worry and anxiety and trouble and conflicts with other people that he fails to watch and hear what God wants to say. Paul spoke of this the conflicts and the fears when Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, 2 Corinthians 7, 5, without were fightings, conflicts, and within were fears. All of these can distract a watchman from being diligent to hear what God wants to speak. And sometimes we have to work the hardest just to still ourselves. It's hard work to stand still, sit still, but that's what God wants. He says in Isaiah, your strength is to sit still. Moses told the people of Israel, stand still. From all the troubles you see the Egyptians coming, stand still. This is hard work to sit still, to still ourselves from hearing all the voices, these voices 
just been going over it. From hearing all these voices of distraction, sometimes we have to still our own distracting voice and stop speaking. We have to stop speaking. Sometimes we have to say to ourselves, enough. I have spoken enough. I have spoken too much. Now I'm going to be quiet so I can hear what God wants to say to me. And sometimes we have to repeat the words of Samuel, the little boy Samuel. In 1 Samuel 3.10, 1 Samuel 3.10, the Lord came and stood and called us at other times. Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, speak, for thy servant heareth. He had to sit still, he had to stand still to hear the voice of God. And David heard God speak. And what he heard was in the verse 8, Psalm 85, 8, Psalm 85, 8. He will speak peace unto his people. What God speaks is peace. When God saves a person, his message to that person is peace. The Lord Jesus said in John 14, 27, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace. I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The word of God to believers brings peace. He said, John 16, 33, why did he say these things he was going to tell you? He was going to tell his disciples, why have I just told you what I told you? I'll tell you. In John 16, 33, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. If we don't have peace, after spending time in the Bible, then the problem is a distraction because the purpose of the Bible is, John 16, 33, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. By contrast, the wicked, they can't find peace. It's nowhere to be found for the wicked in Isaiah 57, 20, Isaiah 57, 20. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. No peace, God says, no peace to the wicked. But to you who listen to my words, these things have I spoken unto me that you might have peace. In me you might have peace. Now, God then explains what brings peace to us in uh, verse 9, Psalm 85, 9. Surely his salvation is nigh. The more we dwell on God's salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did, redeeming us on the cross, the more we have peace. The more we dwell on God's salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ when he redeemed us on the cross, the more we see how much God is for us. The more we see how God is for us, the less we see who can be against us. As it says in Romans 8.31, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now verse 9 goes on to say, his salvation is nigh unto them that fear him. It's for the person that fears God. It's a person who fears God's judgment of sins. It's a person who fears God's hell that he sends people into. That's the person God says, salvation is very near that person, very near. When Israel starts to cry out to God, God says what he's going to do in Isaiah 46, 13. Isaiah 46, 13. I bring near my righteousness. It shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry. I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. But if a person is proud, doesn't care about God, then God said, my salvation is far from that person. In Psalm 119, 155, Psalm 119, 155, salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. Now, after saying all this, especially in verse 9, surely a salvation is nigh to them that fear him, there's a further explanation for how salvation could be near the Jewish people in Israel when it says in verse 9 that glory may dwell 
in our land. Salvation is a person. The name of that person is Yeshua, salvation. His name is salvation. And Jesus means salvation. So this is what he says, Jesus says in John 17, 3, John 17, 3. This is life eternal. This is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Which means that when the Lord Jesus is near, salvation is near. And when it says in verse 9 that salvation is near in Israel, because glory dwells in the land, then we look at how the Lord Jesus was described in Luke 2.32. He was described as a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now, the Lord Jesus today, let's frank about it, the Lord Jesus among the Jewish people today is despised and rejected by Israel, which means that today Israel despises and rejects their own glory. But that's going to change. That's going to change, thank God, when Israel says of the Lord Jesus the words of Psalm 118.26, Psalm 118.26, when they say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, to the Lord Jesus when they say that, and then the Lord Jesus responds to the cry of the Jewish people, returns to Jerusalem, then the glory of the Jewish people dwells in the land of Israel and Jerusalem, and that will mean that salvation is near them. Then the land of Israel will get a whole new name in Isaiah 8.8, Isaiah 8.8. He shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck, and with the stretching out of his wings shall fear the breath of thy land. O Emmanuel, who's Emmanuel? Who's calling who Emmanuel? God is calling the land Emmanuel. At that time, the land will be called Emmanuel because the land will be known as God is with us. This is the land where God is with. Then the land of Israel will be called Emmanuel's land. Now, this is all great for us. This is all great for us. God has forgiven. God has covered the sins. He's taken away the wrath of judgment. He's shown us mercy. But the question is how? How does that happen? How is God able to do this? And this is why verse 10 is the central verse of this psalm, because this verse explains how God accomplished our great salvation. Remember, that's the word that he used, his final word. We say finished, detelestai, uh, Hebrew asa, done, accomplished. Now, Psalm 8510, mercy and truth are met together, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. I want you to look at this as if these are four persons personified in mercy, in truth, in righteousness and peace. And each one of these persons has his own individual purpose. Here's Mr. Truth. Mr. Truth is calling out the truth of God. The truth of God is the Torah. It's the law of God. The law of God is partially described by what God is against. It's all those thou shalt not. It's summarized in those 10 commandments. That's the text of the Mr. Truth. God is against lying. God is against anger of murder in the heart. God is against adultery of lust in the heart. Mr. Truth is proclaiming all that God is against. And the picture of Mr. Truth is Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with the tablets of the law in his hands. And as Moses stands there with the law in his hands, he stands as a picture of Mr. Truth with the Ten Commandments. Our English translation of those Ten Commandments start off with thou shalt not. Almost sounds like a suggestion, but the Hebrew is much stronger. The Hebrew starts off with the word no. No, no, no. No lying, no stealing, no adultery. Just like a school teacher coming out of those Ten Commandments with her finger pointing, no, no. No, no, no. 
Mr. Truth is saying God's law does not contain 10 suggestions. God's law does not contain 10 hints. God's law contains 10 commandments. And Mr. Truth condemns us because Mr. Truth lays out the standard that we failed, that we broke. Mr. Truth looks at each one of us and says, the penalty for violating God's law is judgment. The judgment is eternity in hell, no possibility of release, no possibility of parole. Mr. Truth says, what I draw from God is the truth that describes the standard of holiness, and you have broken it. Man has broken it, and you deserve, and man deserves judgment. That's Mr. Truth. Then there's Mr. Mercy, and Mercy says, yes, yes, I defy you, Mr. Truth. I know he's broken the law that Mr. Truth is proclaiming, but my message is to forgive him. My message is to consider the awfulness of hell. Have pity on him. Don't let him be cast into hell for his sins. Find a way to have mercy on him. The message of Mr. Mercy is, what I draw from God is the mercy that God has. I draw from God the wideness of his mercy that's so broad it can forgive a man's sins. Then there's Mr. Righteousness. Mr. Righteousness. By the way, Mr. Righteousness and Mr. Truth, they're brothers. They're brothers. Mr. Righteousness says, my brother, Mr. Truth, proclaims God's law or standard must be kept. But I, as Mr. Righteousness, proclaim keeping that law. I, as Mr. Righteousness, represents God's law in action. I, as Mr. Righteousness, show what a life looks like that keeps the law of God. And as Mr. Righteousness, I show what it looks like when God's law is kept. I, as Mr. Righteousness, take situations, those individual situations in life, and I show how to keep God's law in those situations. And Mr. Righteousness says to each one of us, when I look at him, when I look at her, I see situations of lives where they have not, situations in their lives where they have not kept the law of God. I see people in their lives that they've had conflicts with other people. They've not turned the other cheek. They fought back with murderous thoughts. I see women those men have seen, and they have not viewed them with purity as sisters, but they have lusted after them. I, as Mr. Righteousness, see the lives that have not obeyed the law of God, and along with my brother, Mr. Truth, I proclaim that I join my brother, Mr. Truth, in condemning them to the judgment of hell. And finally, there's Mr. Peace. Mr. Peace is a brother to Mr. Mercy. They're brothers. Mr. Peace steps up and says, yes, 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 yes. I know all that, Mr. Righteousness, but I defy you. I know that he has not kept the law that Mr. Truth proclaims as the standard. I know Mr. Righteousness is proclaiming how the law was broken by him. But this poor sinner is in a terrible state of agitation. He feels insecure all the time. He's worried. He's anxious. He's fearful. I proclaim that he must have peace. He can't sleep at night. Every little noise sends him jumping as he fears. That noise is, is like the, he's like a prisoner on death row, and he's hearing the jingle of the bells of the cell, and he fears they're going to open his cell and take him for that last walk to the gas chamber. He's in a terrible state of no security, no calm, no contentment in his life. He's living his, all his life like this. He needs peace. I want to give him peace. I proclaim the peace of God. Now, these are the four persons in verse 10. Mr. Mercy, Mr. Truth, Mr. Righteousness, and Mr. Peace. And the brothers, Mr. Truth and Mr. Righteousness, are all are working together with Mr. Truth, proclaiming the absolute law of God. Mr. Righteousness, proclaiming the law of God must be kept in action. And they're enemies. They're enemies with the other brothers of Mr. Mercy and Mr. Peace, where Mr. Mercy is proclaiming that there should be forgiveness 
of sins, and Mr. Peace is proclaiming there must be a peace, calling for peace. So these two sets of brothers are hopelessly arguing with each other. The two brothers of Mr. Truth and Mr. Righteousness are on one side, and they're yelling at the other two brothers of Mr. Mercy and Mr. Peace who are on the other side, and Mr. Mercy and Mr. Peace are yelling back at Mr. Truth and Mr. Righteousness. And we are what they're arguing about. Each one of those persons looks at our lives, and on one side, Mr. Truth says, look at them, and he yells, truth. Mr. Righteousness says, look at them, and he yells, righteousness. And on the other side, Mr. Mercy says, look at them, and he yells, mercy. And Mr. Peace, look at them, yells, peace. It's hopeless. It's absolutely hopeless. These two sets of brothers are totally alienated from each other. But something wonderful happens. Something wonderful, something amazing, something marvelous happens, and it's seen in the Hebrew word behind the word met. The wonder of this is unlocks in the Hebrew word behind the word met. The word behind met is the word pagash. Pagash, the Hebrew word. The whole meaning of what happened in verse 10 is all tied up in that word pagash. In fact, the meaning of the word pagash opens for us a beautiful, wonderful realm of meditations into what happened in verse 10 to bring warring sets of brothers into reconciliation. In verse 10, the word pagash for met means this, meeting a person while they are both on the way somewhere. Pagash means encountering people while they are going somewhere. Pagash means that you are going somewhere, someone else is going somewhere, and while you're both going, you meet each other, and then you use the word pagash. For example, let's say that you're going to Costco, and you're just about to enter Costco, and someone else you know is also coming to Costco, and just before you go in the door, you meet them, that's pagash. And when you meet your, the person you know, you say to him, oh, Imagine meeting you here. I didn't know you shop at Costco. We have something in common. We both shop at Costco. And the person that you meet says, I didn't know you shopped at Costco. Yeah, we have something in common, Costco. And then because you both shop at Costco and you've met, then you begin to talk to each other about what special bargains there are and where and aisles and all these kind of things. And you do that because Costco is what you both have in common and you met when you were going, when you were both on your way to Costco. Pagash would be the word that you would use to describe how you met while you were both on your way to Costco. The use of the word pagash in verse 10 means that the opponents, Mr. Truth and Mr. Mercy, are both on their way to the same place, like, for example, Costco. And they meet each other, like, for example, at the door of Costco. And when they meet, these former enemies look at each other with shock and say, I didn't know you were going there. We're both going to the same place, like Costco, for example. Wow, they reply. We both have something in common. Let's be friends. Let's talk about that time. Let's talk about how we're going to now be friends. And the most wonderful thing happens is they both stop this argument about their differences between truth and mercy, and they begin to talk about the same place they're both going to because they're both going to the same place. Mr. Truth can accept Mr. Mercy, and Mr. Mercy can accept... Mr. Truth, because they're going to the same place, because they forgot about their differences, because they both have something in common. They're both going to the same place. And just like the Costco example, Mr. Truth says to Mr. Mercy, I am shocked. 
I didn't know you were interested in the same place as me. And Mr. Mercy responds, I didn't know you were going to the same place that I go to. And if you can imagine those two enemies meeting each other as they go into Costco and saying to each other, well, since we're both going to be in Costco at the same time, let's become friends. Otherwise, we have to avoid the aisles that you're on. We don't want to do that. So just imagine, before they go into Costco, how they decide to, well, wait a minute. First, let's go over to the side here and sit down on one of these benches by the hot dog stand and just talk about our common love, Costco. And just imagine how we might hear the conversation between those, you go to Costco? Are you kidding? I love Costco. I love Costco also. Well, since we both love the same place, we should love each other. Let's love each other. That's the wonderful thing that happens in these two enemies, Mr. Truth and Mr. Mercy. They become loving friends all because of Costco. And maybe they would call themselves Costco friends. I don't know. So it's like Mr. Truth and Mr. Mercy then go in arm in arm with each other, arm in arm to the same Costco-like place. But wait, it's not all. Two other warring parties meet, and as they go to the same place, they're Mr. Righteousness and Mr. Peace, the same pagash meeting happens to them that happened to Mr. Truth and Mr. Mercy, and they have their own Costco-like meeting at the door. And Mr. Righteousness and Mr. Peace is just as surprised as Mr. Truth and Mr. Mercy to see they're all going to the same place. And after they talk about how they love the same Costco-like place, the picture of the difference is that Mr. Righteous, Mr. Peace, they don't go in arm in arm. They're hugging each other. They're kissing each other. And when you think of kissing, you know, don't think of kissing on the lips. And in the Middle East, you know, they kiss on the cheeks. Now, the grand question is, what is the Costco? What's the Costco-type place we're talking about? What one place does Mr. Truth and Mr. Mercy go to that makes them reconcile? What place? What place is it? that Mr. Righteousness and Mr. Peace go to make them embrace and kiss each other? And the answer that, to that one place is found in John 1.14. John 1.14. This is the place, John 1.14, where they meet. This is the Costco of the Mr. Peace, Mr. Righteousness, Mr. Truth, Mr. Mercy. This is where they meet, John 1.14. Let's read it together, John 1.14. Ready? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What is represented by Costco in this example? What he, it's not what, it's who is represented by Costco. Where are Mr. Truth and Mr. Mercy both going as they pagash each other? John 1.14, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, it's just like mercy and truth. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who's full of mercy and truth. So as Mr. Mercy is going to the Lord Jesus Christ, Mr. Truth is going to the same Lord Jesus Christ. They both pagash, meet each other, and Mr. Truth says, Mr. Mercy, wow, you mean, Mr. Mercy, that you love the Lord Jesus Christ? And Mr. Mercy says, I, I fill him. And Mr. Mercy says to Mr. Truth, well, I also love the Lord Jesus Christ. I, as Mr. Mercy, fill the Lord Jesus Christ. And since we, as Mr. Mercy, and Mr. Truth are both feeling the same person. Let's be friends. And this is the great reconciliation that's talked about here in Psalm 8510. Mercy and truth are met together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our Lord Jesus Christ, where we can find the truth of God, the mercy of God, the righteousness of God, and the peace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.